Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing breaking bad news. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Um, and I'm Anna. I'm one of the teaching fellows in obstetrics and gynaecology. Welcome back, Anna. Hope you had a nice uh, Christmas and New Year. Well, we're recording this in February, so... Thank you for having me back. <laughs> thank you for coming back. Uh, before we go any further, I'd just like to say thank you to uh, Rebecca Lillywhite, uh, somebody who... Um, one of our listeners who uh, messaged me on Facebook to let us know that uh, the seizure podcast cut out just at the end, just as we were about to talk about status epilepticus. Uh, so, um, sorry about that. We've fired the producer and... Um, Oh, don't say that. <laughs> and um, we've put up the, the full uh, seizure podcast mentioning status epilepticus, so thanks for that, Rebecca. Uh, right then, uh, like I said, thanks for coming back, Anna. To, in this podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, breaking bad news. Yeah. And this is something that um, you've noticed students feeding back about during your own teaching, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, we run a simulated on-call for our students at NUH. Uh, that's so Nottingham uh, hospitals and the feedback that comes out all the time is that one of the stations is a patient who's had a miscarriage and they're, they're required to break the news to the patient um, but they feel quite inadequately prepared to deal with that situation because they've not had any formal teaching have very little experience in how to deal with it um, and so this we thought it would be a good idea to maybe have this podcast so they can have something to listen to beforehand um, and then maybe the feedback will change. <laughs> yeah, and uh, to be honest, I mean, it, it's something I think students have uh, fed back sometimes and when they're in placement in the emergency departments as well, is not necessarily breaking the bad news, we don't ask them to do that during that, but I think witnessing it and, and some, you know, having never really thought about it beforehand and maybe formalised how it takes place, uh, like you do with so many other things that we practice at medical school. Um, so I think you know we can agree this is probably every doctor during their career is going to have to break yeah. bad news at some point. I mean, yeah, and absolutely. I mean, uh, classically as well, you think of it as like breaking bad news, cancer diagnosis, don't you? So yeah, yeah, yeah. In some, for some people, it might be a bit strange that the Obstetrics Registrar is uh, <laughs> talking to you about it, but actually, yeah, it affects like um, all sorts of different specialities, um, and in fact. We were just talking before we started this that what is bad news for one person is not necessarily bad news for another. Mm. Um, and so actually you might kind of find yourself in a situation where you're breaking bad news when you didn't actually anticipate that it would be bad news. Mm. Um, it, you know, you see, in some situations, in fact, what is good news for someone else may be bad mm. news for, for another. Yes, so, um, yeah, I mean, I've... I've made a patient cry telling her that she was pregnant in A and E, when obviously she didn't want that. Um, and then I've I've made another one cry, <coughs> excuse me, tears of happiness by saying she wasn't pregnant because you know, <laughs> yep. she, this is something she'd be worried about. So I mean, like you said exactly, it, it's what's bad news for one is not necessarily uh, bad news for another. Um, so I think you know what sort of circumstances do you think you know a, an early junior doctor would be expected to break bad news in? Um, I think probably in the early life of a junior doctor, so foundation years, that early SHO, 
probably from like the forefront of breaking bad news, like junior doctors are probably quite protected from it. It's kind of seen as a job for the senior doctor or the consultant. I've certainly worked in hospitals where actually um, you know, breaking news of a cancer diagnosis was solely the job of the consultant. It was not ever the job of uh, anyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of reasonable that it, you know, that it should be that way, but then it makes it difficult, of course, for people to get experience and um, know how you can break bad news properly and how you can do it well. Um, the types of times when I've broken bad news as a junior doctor, I've worked in obstetrics and gynaecology for a long time, so certainly you know, breaking the news of a miscarriage is pretty common for us, or an ectopic pregnancy. Um, telling someone that they have a cancer diagnosis I mean, comes in lots of different specialities. Um, telling someone they have a sexually transmitted infection um, can be desperately bad news for, for some people, whereas other people you know, don't see it maybe is in quite a dim light. Um, I don't know what is situations where you, as a junior doctor, um, uh, have great bad news. Yeah, so um, certainly I think in, in accident and emergency, obviously it, it's not a clinic environment. It, it's so, um, you know, when you are the, um, I think, you know, we've started having F1s, so it's different now. The F1s do see with a consultant, but I mean, certainly F2s and above, you are that patient's responsible clinician. Uh, and unless you specifically ask for it, you will not get somebody senior coming in. So it is on you to go in. And, and yeah, certainly as, as an F2, I um, you know, had to t- break news of uh, brain tumours, of you know, potentially life-threatening conditions like ischemic bowel, AAA, immediately spring to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, sort of patients can deteriorate very rapidly as well, and, and you know, having to keep... Um, Relatives informed about that as well, so I think you know, in A and E's certainly it can. You know, you have to be on your toes a lot in A and E about things like that happening. Are there um, any preparations do you think we can take before we have to break bad news? Um, so I mean, as we just discussed, sometimes you find yourself in that situation where you're kind of suddenly breaking bad mm. news, and you didn't realise that it perhaps would be bad news for the patient. So you suddenly in that situation, you have to deal with it. Um, but I think the, the classical things you'll read about, you know, making sure that you're kind of prepared, making sure you understand exactly what it is that you're telling the patient, that you perhaps understand the test result, um, and if there is any confusion about it, that you've um, discussed that with one of your seniors, or um, maybe de- even delayed providing that information until you know it's perhaps more certain if mm. that's appropriate. Mm. Um, you hear people saying about don't have your, your bleep with you or your mobile phone so that actually you're away from being you know distracted whilst you're trying to um, give that patient that information mm. um, in a quiet room away from you know other people on the ward um, despite what a lot of people think the curtains around beds are in fact not soundproof no not um, at all and so it's not really appropriate um, when in like an open bay for example mm. if you're just using the curtains that's not very private um, for a patient um, it may be the patient wants to have someone with them, or if that's not possible, you know, if not a relative, maybe a nurse, so mm. that someone can be with them just to you know, mm. look after, be an advocate for the patient, mm. um, rather than just doing it one to one. I don't know what else you think. So yeah, I mean, I think nurses are often very good. I mean, I think that's also a bit of a comfort for me as the doctor, I think sometimes, and um, the very good nurses, uh, of which we have many in the emergency department, in fact, they are all very good, I should say. They are all very good. Do they listen to these podcasts? <laughs> they might do. Um, the, um, they will say, do you want me to come in with you? Yes. 
uh, and I think nurses, I think as, as well, especially when I when I speak to student nurses and or nurses just starting, um, are very good at translating doctorish into patientish. Okay, yeah, so absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I've been there on a, on a research shift <coughs> um, where the family come in and, and you can you know you, you're busy something else, but you can hear you can hear the the relatives going when's the doctor coming to tell us what's going on when's the doctor coming to tell us on and you know you 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 come in and, and you um you think that you're giving the best translation of doctorish into layperson language you think you're explaining it really well you take all the time you can and then as i'm leaving as what i hear is them turning to the nurses going so what does that mean then and then the <laughs> nurse is having to you yeah, know that's, uh being that, that translating step. Um, I mean, it's interesting what you say about, you know, the, the location, because I think this is something that I've... I've I remember when I was a, a surgical F1, the registrar, um, uh, we, I was working on uh, SEAU, the, the surgical admissions unit, and the, uh, we had a patient who came in with painless jaundice. Uh, so we thought this was pancreatic cancer. And uh, the scan confirmed that there was a pancreatic mass. Um, but the registrar, the registrar in question, who saw him with me after I'd clerked him in, um, said, um, "We won't tell it here. This isn't a right environment." And booked him into the consultant's clinic so it'd be seen in a, in a clinical environment, mm. uh, you know, in a clinic environment rather than being on the ward, um, which you know I've never seen before. But the, the registrar thought in that instance was more appropriate. Uh, so the senior saying that A and E is not a good place to break news of possible cancer diagnosis that that should be done later on but then other people saying no that's not the case and you know patients should know when they should know um i think it's difficult isn't it um, it is because actually you don't want to um kind of inappropriately delay the patient knowing what's going on yeah just because you don't think it's an appropriate environment in mm. fact if you're on the ward um or if you're in the a&e department there are side rooms available mm. you know mm. um that this kind of thing can be done in. Mm. Like I can see why some people think that A and E might not be the correct place in order, you know, to break bad news. A very busy clinical environment where maybe not all of the information is readily available mm. to you, um, so it might be an incomplete picture. Yeah. But certainly, we should be telling our patients the information that we know. Mm. I don't think that we should, you know, kind of deliberately hide or keep that from them, mm. um, even if we have to say we don't have all the information at the yeah. moment this is the, what we do know so far mm. the possibilities are you know x y and z mm. but we are worried that this is possibly a cancer for example yeah. well there's a difference between saying there is a mass versus you have a biopsy confirmed exactly, yeah. carcinoma isn't there but um i think um I mean, we'll talk a bit in a, a little bit in about warning shots. And I think yeah. certainly if you're seeing the patient early on, giving a warning shot, I think it's a bit more collegiate to your colleagues further on down the line by yeah, saying that this is one thing that this, the specialist may end up talking to you about. Yeah. yeah, it makes it a lot easier for people later on rather mm. than then, you know, when they have got all the information, they have the scan results and it, you know, it comes completely out of the blue for the patient. Mm. They had absolutely no idea mm. what the possibilities were. That certainly makes life a lot easier for subsequent people seeing the patient, yeah. Yeah. I think you can time it as well. So <clears throat> like in A&E, you can, you know, relatives hopefully will come in and see their patient in, in A&E and, and you can wait till they're all present to, to, to break bad news. I think when you're the award junior doctor, you can wait till visiting times and, and they are present. Um, I suppose if you were a GP having it as well, you could make sure that they come in with somebody so there is somebody there that, yeah. you know, 
they're not driving home alone, you sure. know, having been told potentially, you know, some very bad news. Um, okay, so we've, we've sort of hopefully set our scene. We've, we've got our re- patient, relatives, advocates all there. Um, how should we begin the consultation, do you think? So I think it's really important to explain to the patient who you are, um, give them your full name, what your role is, um, and I think then the next step is, depending on how much information you already have, because it might be necessary in order to tell, give the patient the information properly that maybe you need a bit of information from them. Mm. Um, certainly I think you need to check what the patient understands already, um, which may be to understand, um, for example, ask the patient, do you know why you had the scan? Um, and they may tell you, yes, they were looking for a cancer, in which case that makes then going on to talking about that a lot easier because you know the patient's already in the frame of mind that they mm. already understand what the possibilities are, um, which is very different to if uh, the patient actually tells you that they have no idea. They've um, been referred into the hospital but actually haven't been told anything so far and you're the first person seeing them. In which case you do need to maybe ask them a few questions about what's been going on. Um, I'm not talking about taking like a full history of like everything in the world, but maybe like some kind of salient questions that might guide you as to what's been happening so far. Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, (coughs) the possibly the worst ever example I ever saw of that as a medical student was in a uh, head and neck clinic, which was an MDT clinic. So there was a the um, I think it was maxillofacial, there was ENT, and there was an oncologist, and they all introduced themselves to this patient who came in and said, "Oh, and I'm I'm one of the oncologists," and he was like, oh, "So what's an oncologist?" And he was like, "Oh, it's a cancer specialist." And he went, oh. "Oh," and you could tell that this guy had not he'd been referred in by his GP through the whole two week wait and things, had not been warned at all, and you could just see the colour go from his cheeks and. Not a good example of, of well, the, an, an example of how not to do things, I think, that one. And that's, um, and hopefully you, we don't see that a lot as doctors, and hopefully our medical students don't see like bad mm. examples of breaking bad news, but I suspect that there are a lot of people that kind of carry with them examples of when they saw bad news broken really badly, mm. um, which shouldn't happen, but actually is quite a good learning point of things that you know you shouldn't do and help people actually go forward. Mm. Um, Hopefully we'll, we'll give lots of examples of really bad things on this podcast so yeah. that uh, people can learn from that rather than from actual From experience. actual practice, yeah. And I should say, I've seen this so many more, so much better that the pro <laughs> examples I've seen of, of the, you know, how to do uh, break bad news versus mm-hmm. the bad stuff uh, it was much more on the positive side. Uh, so we talked, we mentioned a bit of warning shots again and clearly that, that guy in that clinic I saw hadn't had a warning shot. Um, what is a warning shot then when we're breaking bad news? I think it can take like uh, several forms. Um, we've already mentioned about how someone may have kind of g- given prior warning to the patient about what types of things we might be looking for. Mm. Um, and so that might be, you know, at the point where they have the biopsy taken, um, you know, where by we tell them actually we're doing this biopsy because we want to see whether or not there is a cancer or not. So that's kind of a bit like a warning shot, but it's given, you know, ahead of time. Um, I think typically warning shots are, rather than just kind of jumping in, you have cancer. Um, It's to say, I'm sorry to have to tell you today, but I have bad news. Mm. 
and then te- so it's a little bit less of a shock to the system that mm. you know you've just blurted it out. Um, and I think it just makes the consultation and the you know the rapport with the patient a bit better if you've actually given them a little bit of kind of pre-warning that what you're about to tell them is in fact bad news. And I think most patients actually will probably have some idea that the news that you're going to tell them is not good from the way the consultation is going. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some patients, it's really important if they actually, you know, really have no idea about what you're about to tell them. Yeah, I mean, it's something I say to all my students, and then something I try and do in my practice. If is if I'm doing a a blood test for something, or I'm doing an imaging for something, I tell the patient why. So, for example, we are doing a troponin. This will we're looking to see if you've had a heart attack. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we are scanning your head. I'm looking for a bleed. That's one thing that I'm worried about. You know, and and then at least it's it's there. And and yes, it worries them. But you know, you you say look, we will find it we will try and you know manage it whatever we find and I, like you said I think you know I've, I have a lot of problems with Dr Google um, and patients googling things but the general knowledge that is in the population is so much better now and I think sometimes it isn't it, it we should just say you know what are you worried that this is and if the yeah. patient says I'm thinking I might be having I might have had a stroke I might have had a heart attack I might have cancer I think it's then our point to go well yes that that is one possibility or no it's not don't work you know or yeah. that is one possibility and that is something we're looking for and then that is that adult conversation with our patient rather than you know I am doctor just listen to me sure thing, I think yeah I absolutely agree um I suppose then also I mean I've already mentioned our nurses translating uh from doctorish to um to patientish, um, I suppose we should be avoiding medical jargon as much as possible, or would yeah, you? I think you know? yeah, the general answer is don't use medical jargon. Um, but of course, I think it does depend on the type of terminology that your patient's using. Because if you've already had you've spoken to them or you've already asked them their understanding, if the patient actually uses terminology that they clearly understand, then I think it's appropriate to then use that terminology when you're speaking to them. Mm. Um, but otherwise, in general, using medical jargon is not very helpful. And in that situation, like you say, they turn to the nurse and say, "What, what did he say? What, what, what's the what's the problem then?" Yeah. Um, but I think it's very easy for us as when you're a, a doctor, actually translating something from medical jargon back into layman's terms for a patient is actually quite difficult and quite a skill to do well, mm. um, and takes a lot of experience. Uh, yeah, it's very when you when you're a medical student and you're learning because you're always learning from people that are talking to you in medical jargon. You, um, it's quite difficult, isn't it, mm. to actually then put it back. The oh yeah, way around. absolutely. So for me, just taking AAA for an example, <clears throat> you know, you know, to tell this patient who's you know retired who left school at you know twelve, uh, you know, that they've uh, that they're their aorta is ruptured, you know, yeah. and then you, you do find yourself go, well. So you know, this, there's this very big artery in your tummy. An artery is a blood vessel. <laughs> it yeah, takes, exactly. and, and you do actually find yourself going down, down, down to this most simple level. Yeah. And and that's not because you're patronising, but you, you think actually you think well, everybody knows what an artery is. And they don't yeah. actually, and you know, um, yeah. and you know, it, it's it is a skill. I completely agree. It is a skill in itself. And that's something actually um, that comes back to another point that we were talking about, is about how actually it might change. So your conversation changes depending on the response you get from the patient. So if I start telling somebody, um, 
that they have uh, endometrial cancer, for example. Um, but then it's kind of clear to me from their body language, from their facial expression, or maybe they verbalise to me they don't understand. Then actually, my I have to adapt like how I'm speaking to them. Mm. I have to adapt like as you say, going kind of further, more and more basic in how you're describing something. Um, and that's true of like a lot of things of breaking bad news. You you find yourself in a bit of a flux situation. It's not necessarily going to happen in one way where you kind of start the consultation, you then do X, Y, and Z and then the patient leaves at the end of it um, because actually it changes as time mm. goes on depending on various factors so how the patient responds because they either understand or they don't um, whether or not the patient um, accepts what you're telling them or are they in denial mm. um, it may be that the patient you, you tell them about the management possibilities but the patient actually refuses to um, kind of comply with the management that you're telling them so various things can kind of change during the consultation, which means that you do need to be quite adaptable, which again is a skill which is gained, I think, probably only with experience. Mm. And that that does happen, and, and you've uh, it's it's happens. Of, I, mean, I can think of about three or four occasions where I've I've gone down this route of okay, so it's a blood vessel, it, you know, very simple. And then one of the family members turns to me and goes, oh, "I'm a nurse, so what? You know, oh, oh no." <laughs> I'm a doctor. Okay, yeah. so so what's going on now then? What's their uh, you know what's this risk score and things? What's their EWS and things and you know our early warning score? Oh, okay, <laughs> then you have to go the other way back up. And you go, oh, okay. Um, so I mean, you, you talked a bit then just about patient not necessarily agreeing with the management plan. How early on do you think we should bring a management plan in when we're when we're Sometimes breaking it's really in? important. Um, so sometimes how we go on to manage the break the bad news mm. is a key part of the whole consultation. So you've told them what the situation is, what are we now going to do about it? Um, and so sometimes it's important to bring that in straight away. Other times it may be actually, maybe because of whatever you've diagnosed or maybe it's because the patient's condition itself, maybe they need a bit of time to actually kind of process that information, go away, have a think about what questions they want to ask. Um, maybe they need to bring a family member back with them to help them help them do that. Um, and so a good example of that is miscarriage, actually, that we um, I have to have something obs and grinding related to it. So we, um, we've told the lady that it's been a miscarriage, but actually if she's t uh, clinically well and she's you know, not bleeding or um, in a lot of pain, it's completely appropriate for us to give her some time to process that information and then bring her back. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll give her that option. So I would say, do you want me to talk about what the management options are or would you like me to give you some time first and we can come back later or you know, you can come back another day to discuss it. Mm. Um, and then it leaves it a bit more in the patients, um, the ball in their court then about what they want. But I think if you're dealing generally with like um, most situations, you probably would start kind of putting out there what the possibilities are now mm. for management. Yeah, I mean, I think in, you know, being A and E specific, I think when I, uh, you know, I seem to be using cancer as an example here. <laughs> Say if uh, you know we found a, a brain tumor, for example, um, I will speak to neurosurgery first before I go and see the patient. So at least there's a management plan in terms of, you know, giving um, you know medication to reduce swelling or to, to give uh, anti seizure medication as well. You know, we know that we're going for a, a staging CT and things like that. So at least there is a there is a plan there. Uh, you know, same as if you know, go back to AAA again. I've spoken to surgeons, you know, yeah. 
these sorts of things. So it's important to have full information, isn't it? Yeah. You tell someone what's going to happen. Mm. You know, it's no good telling someone what you think is going to happen and yeah. transpires that actually something totally different Absolutely. is going to happen. That's like a lot worse. Well, I think in general, yeah, I mean, always stick to your specialty. I mean, that don't go beyond your specialty or what, or what you think and, and all your level of experience. And certainly don't when you're breaking bad news go, oh, yes, the surgeon's going to come in and they're going to cut this out and it's going to be amazing. And <laughs> the surgeons are actually going to go, no, yeah, we're not. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Um, at the same time, I think it's useful when you say that, that processing, because I think it's the Macmillan cancer advert that they've been on where she the, the starts with the guy receiving bad news about cancer, obviously, but then this volume just goes and he's just hearing the specialist, seeing the specialist's mouths moving, but he's not hearing a thing. I think it's the one that then they start singing, you'll never walk alone in. Um, but I think that, that bit of, he's clearly not processing anything because he's heard the word cancer, and that, that's, I think that is useful. Do, you know, do you need a moment? Yeah. You Because... Know, they can be sat there going nodding, but it's actually not. Nothing is going in. Going back to what you said about management, I think you need to, um, even if you perhaps don't intend on explaining the full management plan uh, to the patient, a lot of, I think most patients, I don't know if you'd agree, would, after you've told them something bad, they would like to know then what's going to happen about mm. it. And so you probably should have that information available to you before you start the consultation. Um, there's not much use um, kind of giving them the bad news. They ask, okay, so what are we going to do now? And then you say, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so you should have at least some idea, even yeah. if the management, if that, if the plan is we need to speak to yeah. X in yeah. order to understand what the next management step absolutely. is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Even, yeah. Somebody from another specialty will come and talk to you. They are on their way. Yeah. I, I don't know at the moment. You know, like I said, just it needs to be something. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be something, and just just stick to what you know. Don't don't lie. You know. Um, so, um, how do you think we should? I think we already talked a bit about the initial shock. Is there anything else I think we should expect our patient to sort of to be feeling and showing when they're receiving bad news? Um, I don't think you can kind of necessarily predict how someone is going to respond so that you kind of add anger denial grief the shock, stages of yeah. stages of i was trying to what are the stages so yeah there's the uh the kubler ross model of the five stages of of grief and uh and loss aren't there that's uh, yeah we definitely did not just look that up we definitely didn't just look that up yeah. denial um, anger bargaining depression and acceptance yeah. Um, well, I think what we're saying is that actually when you tell someone bad news, you don't really know at which point they, they will fall on that. Um, and so some patients might go through all five stages in order and be very textbook. Some patients are quite accepting of what you're telling them straight away, maybe because they've already made, already understood what the possibilities are, they've already gone, you know, gone through the other stages, and actually at this point that you're telling them, they can be quite accepting of it. Um, but I think don't expect a patient to react in any way because if you expect them to react in a certain way and you've kind of pre-planned in your head how you're going to deal with it and then they, de they act in a completely different way, it will throw you mm. um, and you won't then know what to say to them to deal with that particular emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, if you're a Simpsons fan, the episode where Homer Simpson eats some fugu, he goes through the five stages in about five seconds. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, uh, have you seen that? Yeah, <laughs> so it's a very yeah, for, for Simpsons fans listening. Um, so how should we then think about ending our consultation then once we, we think we're at that point? Because obviously we don't want to go, bye, and just walk <laughs> off. Um. So there are kind of certain things <coughs> that we would um, kind of classically do, I think, to tie up a consultation where you've broken bad news. And obviously the exact bits will depend on what exactly you've told them. Um, but I think generally we have to talk about follow-up. So 
are we going to arrange to see the patient again? Um, and when exactly that likely is, if you know, likely to be, if we're going to do that, um, we should be offering them an opportunity to be asking questions of us. So if there's anything maybe they haven't had an opportunity to ask so far, and give them some time to formulate those questions as well. If they don't have anything to ask at this particular point, make sure that you tell them they can always come back at a later stage, maybe offer them a contact number, maybe there's a specialist nurse that they can speak to um, if they think of any questions that they want to ask. Um, they should probably have some kind of, in, in diagnoses where you're talking about something like a cancer or something which requires some kind of follow-up, there normally is um, a nurse specialist or some member of yeah. the team um, or the consultant secretary, for example, mm. who they can contact if you know they have anything else they want to ask or they need to make any changes to the follow-up plan that's been made. Um, MDT involvement as well, and and, yeah. and 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 yeah. you know my experience, I think, with specialties where can where there is a heavy involvement with oncology, they're very good at then getting in. You know, people like uh, Macmillan and and, thing, and yes. getting that in early. There's lots of Absolutely. pathways in place. Yeah. <coughs> so making sure the patient is aware of kind of all of those. And then of course, um, sounds always a bit cliche, but information leaflets, mm. um, because... Always in the OSCE, <laughs> information leaflets. Always in the OSCE, definitely. Um, but it is useful to, for the patient to have some kind of written information just to reinforce to them what you've told them, um, and something for them to show their relatives if they're not quite sure how to verbalise what you've told them. They can say, actually, they've given me these leaflets, this is what's going on. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, that's quite important. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose you know we're we're not machines. We're we're humans as well. Our patients are humans. Um, you know, what should we acknowledge the emotional response that our patients show? So if a patient starts breaking down in front of us, you know what yeah. that. I mean, you, you talked about being adaptable. It. Yeah, that's one situation where you have to be very adaptable. When yeah. When there's like an extreme emotional mm. response to what mm. you told them. Um, so like crying uh, is really common or anger mm. as well um, then I think we should acknowledge the emotional response because we should hopefully have built rapport with the patient that means that we're able to be personal with them so actually to say I can see that this information is really upsetting to you um, and giving you know, that, t- that bit of time to sink in make sure that you give them time to process it, don't try and like, ask them loads of questions if they're really angry or they're really upset. Um, offer tissues. Um, I think people always like wonder like how much kind of body contact you could give someone. You know, yeah. like, if someone, um, if it wasn't someone where you had that doctor-patient relationship and someone was really upset, your kind of immediate instinct for a lot of people would be to like put an arm around them. Mm. Um, you know, and actually, if you feel it's a pr- it's okay to put a hand on their hand. You know, and a lot of patients will really appreciate. Mm. Um, it, I think in most situations, I don't know if you would agree. Actually, trying to like kind of be kind of standoffish and and not touch them makes the situation almost more. I I think so. Too. I mean, you, you do get. I mean, you know, you, you we're not psychopaths. We come into medicine for you know for good reasons. And you know, you, there is that response. You know, to put the hand on their shoulder or their hand. I mean, obviously, don't jump on the you know trolley <laughs> and give them a cuddle. But you know, there is that thing to you know. There is that feeling, you know, and 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 I've I've said it before, yeah, I, you know, I, I, you, you're right to be angry. This isn't it isn't fair. Yeah, that's a you know, um, you know, um, it isn't fair that you've got whatever this is. It is really, you know, um, and um, 
I can't promise that everything's going to be okay, but I can promise that we will look after you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just being a human, you know, not staring at the clock, giving them eye contact and just holding their hand like a human being would. Yeah. And, 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 be, and just being kind. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a, there's a saying is that patients um, won't always remember what you did or what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And I think that's at this point more than ever that's a very yeah. important thing and you know in fact when we do our simulations for some of the undergraduates that have been through the process um, we're more and more like asking our simulated patients to tell the students how they were made to feel yeah um, by the students you know response or whatever and actually that's incredibly valuable so you know, mm. learn, to learn from mm. um, I think that's right. The student, the patients often will remember how how they felt. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, the simulation patient, you, you can be very useful to get feedback from, and it is that kind of you know, not you weren't listening to me. It's I felt when you were staring at your watch as I was telling you that you, yeah. you know something. You know, that's just a silly yeah, example, exactly. but you know what I mean. You can give a concrete example there, can't you? Um, uh, absolutely. Um, so, what do you think? What happens if the doctor themselves in that environment or the students in that environment starts to feel upset themselves? Um, that's very, it's quite difficult and I think as a doctor breaking bad news you feel like you should be the patient's rock a mm. bit um, and that actually you shouldn't get upset because that will show weakness in you um, it would show that you know you, you weren't maybe in control of the situation you should you should have experienced this enough times before that you shouldn't get upset at breaking bad news. And I think you know most of the time those things are true. We we didn't get upset, but there are certain situations where I've i felt quite upset by a situation. Um, and actually, I've cried once whilst giving a patient news bad news, mm. and she told me that me acknowledging like the emotional, my emotional response to acknowledge hers actually helped her more than anything else. Okay. But is that the way that we would normally do it? I wouldn't Probably recommend crying, no, no. Because actually it's very difficult if you feel so upset by breaking bad news, it's something that you do so often, mm. you'd just be a complete wreck, wouldn't yeah, you? Absolutely. <laughs> um, you'd be emotionally drained yeah, at the end of yeah, exactly. uh, every and day. It's not, it's not the doctor's responsibility to carry the emotional no. situation. No. Um, so I think if you are feeling you know, the situation is too much, you have to play it basically by ear, depending on what's going on. But you can always excuse yourself mm. um, and say that you need, you're going to like have a break. And you're going to give the patient some time to think. You're, you're going to go and have a bit of a break, and that you'll be back to them or your yeah. colleague um, to continue the consultation. Um, but it's a difficult one. Yeah. I've I've seen that in in I mean in in um, in A and E where. Um, you know, I won't go into specifics, but uh, colleagues were looking after a patient who had a specific diagnosis that hit home. You know, because of yeah, the, the colleagues' own reasons, yeah. had uh, you know own family members had had a similar thing, and they had to just I'm I really can't look after you know not because I don't want to, but because it will just affect me. And then there's a case of, again being collegiate again and going, fine, I'll do it. You know, it, it, I will step in and, and, and do that for you. Um, 
And for colleagues around, you know, there may be an awareness yeah. that it's not appropriate for someone particularly to be breaking values yeah. um, because they know that it will be too close to home. So yeah. obviously you don't know everything about your colleagues, no, so sometimes no. these things kind of spring up, but it may be you do know yeah. that, um, that your colleague... Use Thompson Guiding, sorry. Fair enough. Go, go with Thompson Guiding, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> Your colleague has just had a miscarriage themselves. Yeah. And yeah. they've only just returned to work. Mm. Um, and so actually, you wouldn't, yes, they will have to start doing that kind of over time, but yeah. you can step in and say, actually, no, I'll, I'll take this one, mm. knowing that it probably will be close to home. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's about fostering that environment, isn't there, within your team that you feel that you could identify it, or at least if I wasn't noticing it, that, that somebody could come and, and talk to me and things. And I mean, seniors with children say this all the time. I mean, I've, I don't have children, but when um, in A&E, when really poorly children or even sadly child deaths come in, hit you so much harder when you are a parent. Yeah. And I can definitely personally yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's definitely true. so um you know i think is identifying you know do you know what this, i'm really not in the right space for this in this moment yeah. um and you know identifying the support that is out there and if you're a student who's seen something that is you know has upset you and, and you're taking it home with you obviously to speak to the university and, yeah. and access the support that is there yeah there's a good pastoral support at mm. the university or through you know that your your teach your clinical teachers through your consultant that's been allocated to you i think if you do see something that's really really upset you um, it's really important to talk away and mm. um, not bottling it up mm. um one thing I will say, it was a, another insight from a simulated patient. It was um, uh, one of the sim days when I was a student and they had an actor in being, uh, the, the patient was a mannequin, um, but uh, the actor was his son. And uh, the, act, the, the scenario was um, a very difficult relative who was obstructing everything and being very, you know, the patient was clearly very ill. Uh, and, you know, at the end, I think he, when we were debriefing, he was being as nice as possible to prove that he was actually a nice guy, because I think we'd all obviously got really annoyed with him by the end of the day. Uh, but he said, uh, and it's something that's always stuck with me, he said, um, for you guys as the doctors, this will just be, oh, you remember that reading, that relative that was difficult, and while you're having a drink in the mess or something, I'll oh, remember them. But to me, this is the day my dad died. And I think... And I think that actually, when you frame it like that, I think keep it in perspective sometimes, especially if somebody's being difficult about things or, you know, having that level of understanding and, and empathy as well, very important. Um, I suppose we're getting to the end of the podcast now. I suppose it seems a bit strange. Can Breaking Bad News ever be positive? Can it be a positive experience, do you think? I think we can, by everything that we've discussed like during this podcast, I think... Um, you can do things to make the experience better for the patient. Positive is a difficult word, isn't it? Because mm. depending on what bad news you're giving them, you know that may never be seen in a positive light. But the way that you break bad news, the way that you um, kind of acknowledge the patient's emotions, um, the way that you um, you deal with them and make a follow-up plan or whatever, the patients will remember that. And even if they've been given a bad diagnosis they remember the day that they were told mm. and if you do it badly then that can stick in their mind as you know a really bad bad experience whereas actually if it's done well it can just be seen as 
you know, this is this has happened, but actually we can see the light at the end of the tunnel now, rather than it being something that kind of always sticks in their mind as like the worst ever day. Mm. So, um, if somebody's sort of listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get a bit more experience uh, in, in breaking bad news, um, apart from, you know, your brilliant simulations and things, um, uh, where else uh, do you think uh, students or anyone listening could, could get some experience? I think it really has to be, um, you know, the ward attachments. So in the clinical phases, you're spending a lot of time on the wards. People are probably breaking bad news to patients more than you think they yeah. are. Um, so spending time with the clinical team, your consultants, um, and watching how other people do things and gaining as much e- experience from that, whether or not that be taking away the negatives that you might not, not do again, mm-hmm. taking away the positives that you take forward into your practice. We're not ever going to ask medical students outside of a simulated environment to break bad news to No, of course not, no. Um, and so you are going to... Um, you know, just have to kind of glean it, I suppose, from watching others. So it's almost like a, it seems church to call it that, it's almost like a skill, much like every other clinical skill, you practice it, you, you observe it, and yeah. you practice in a safe environment as a student, obviously. And uh, like you said, you I didn't like that bit, so I won't copy that, but that was really good when that yeah. doctor did that, and, and you yeah. build so it so I'll up. take that on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and certainly I think there is a lot more simulation going on where breaking bad news kind of forms perhaps part of that simulation um, and so make use of those situations although they might be quite daunting where you think oh my, how am I going to do this how am I going to do it it actually is just a simulated environment it's not yeah. going to matter if no. you say something wrong um, you can always time out in a simulation as well can't Absolutely, you and go yeah. hang on I'm, then this is yeah. going wrong can we just yeah. you know so we do that we've, we've yeah we that do it before. here as well yeah. we say hang on a second this is like really going down the wrong track everybody stop and just rewind to the beginning <laughs> start again yeah um and you can do that of course in a simulated environment and that's the i think that's probably the best place to kind of practice and hopefully as you know our medical students go through um go through their attachments, they'll all kind of spend time coming through the Nottingham hospitals yeah. where we do this a lot, um, and they hopefully get some experience. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, I seem to always be saying this to my students, uh, the books will get you through exams, uh, but in order to be a good doctor you have to be on the ward. Yeah, it's, it's an apprenticeship in, in my mind anyway I subscribe to that theory um, you need to be seeing this kind of stuff this isn't something you're going to learn from a, from a book or, or just you know, listening to this brilliant podcast <laughs> uh, although it will help you um, you know you, you do need to be seeing it and, and growing and things yeah. um, I think certain teams so I mean we ha- re- recently down here in, in Dream um, um, when I'm not podcasting I run our academic meetings and we had the uh, organ donation team come down and they did a, a session with us uh, and, and they do run sessions that uh, I think students can attend I mean it's very specific but it is on things like you know approaching a, a family and, and talking about organ donation it's very specific as I know but I'm sure teams do run certain things like that you know training and, uh, and things uh, and like you said to experience on the ward that was the Take Orally Breaking Bad News podcast You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we'll put up links to any guidelines mentioned and you can contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. For more information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.